Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with a picture of the cross as we pick up in Genesis chapter 22, verse 6. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Isaac could at this time he could have overpowered Abraham. When Abraham decided to start to tie him and lay him on the altar, he said, hey, what's going on here? I'm getting senile, Dad. It's far enough. And he could have overpowered his dad. But he was obedient unto the call of God upon his father's heart, submitting even as Jesus could have escaped the cross. When Peter drew the sword and began to strike out against the soldiers and the servants that had come to take Jesus, Jesus said to Peter, put away thy sword, Peter. Don't you realize that at this moment I could call 10,000 angels to deliver me? One angel went through the camp of the Assyrians and wiped out 185,000 in one night. Imagine what 10,000 could do. But Jesus was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, submitting to the will of the Father. For he prayed, Father, not my will, thy will be done. And thus submitting himself to the will of the Father, even as Isaac was submitting unto the will of his father Abraham. So interesting picture all the way through. Abraham... He came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built the altar there, and they laid the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called to him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Don't lay your hand upon the lad. Neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, behind him there was a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, or Jehovah-Sees, literally. It has come to be interpreted Jehovah provides. But literally in the Hebrew it is Jehovah sees. But with God there is very little difference between vision and provision. God sees. Jesus said over and over, I know thy works. God sees. God sees your need. God sees your heart. God sees the problems that you're facing. God sees the tests you're going through, and because God sees, he provides. Jehovah Jireh. And as said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. So they started saying, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Mount Moriah in 2 Chronicles, the second chapter, and so Solomon began to build the temple in Mount Moriah. 
And so the place where the sacrifices were to be offered through the history of the nation is the same place where Abraham, the same mountain where Abraham was offering the sacrifice of his son. But the prophecy was the Lord will provide himself and then in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And so it is significant that when Jesus was crucified, they led him out of the city to a place called Calvary or Golgotha, the place of the skull. And today if you go to Jerusalem and you stand there in the garden tomb just above the Arab bus depot and you look to the left there on the face of the mountain, you distinctly see the impression of the skull there on the mountain. But it's standing there, look over to your right and look at the city wall near Herod's gate and you'll see that the wall has been built up over the mountain, over the bedrock. And that this valley where the bus stop is is actually been quarried out. And that the mountain that you see on the right on the walls of, where the walls of Jerusalem are built over were actually once a continuation of this same mountain and that the top of the mountain is to your left where the skull is. Now going on the other side and following the topography, you see that this mountain slopes right on down to the Temple Mount, the place of the sacrifices, or Mount Moriah. So really, the place of the crucifixion, Golgotha, was the top of Mount Moriah. There are several mountains around Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the Mount of Olives, Mount Scopus, but the most important was Mount Moriah. And Mount Moriah crested above the area where the skull is, the place where Jesus was crucified. Abraham no doubt took Isaac to the top of the mountain because usually when they would build their altars they would build them right at the top of the mountain and so at the very spot where Abraham built the altar in obedience to God and he prophesied God will provide himself a lamb and the people picked it up and said in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen 2,000 years later God provided himself a lamb for a burnt offering it was seen for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and in the very spot where Abraham built his altar, the cross of Christ was placed as God gave his only begotten son because he loved the world. And so we have that beautiful picture here in the Old Testament as Abraham was acting out a drama that would later on in history become a reality where God gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself. Now the angel of the Lord here is, of course, Jesus Christ. Where he said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, saith Jehovah, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee. Now in Hebrews tells us that God, because he cannot swear by any higher, has to swear by himself. Now man, when he takes an oath, he swears by something greater, by my mother's honor. I swear by God I'll do it. You swear by something greater, but if God wants to make an oath that is very positive, who can he swear by? Nothing greater than God, so he has to swear by himself. And so the Lord swore by himself in order to confirm the oath 
to, to give force to it. By myself have I sworn, saith Jehovah, for because you have done this thing and not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. So God promised great posterity as the stars of the heaven, as the sands of the sea. Now in both of them you have an innumerable multitude. And that's the idea. It's, it's just numberless that are going to come from thee. You won't be able to number them or count them. It is interesting that God relates two things, the stars of the heaven, the sand of the sea. Now in those days, the scientists believed that there were 6,126 stars. Now it's obvious there are many more sands of the sea than there are stars. So there were no doubt the critics in those days saying, yeah, look, you know how foolish the Bible is. If God really knew you know, what he was talking about, he wouldn't have said uh, as the stars of the heaven and the sands of the seas because you can't compare the two of those. We know there's only 6,126 stars, but my, who can count the sands of the sea? And the critics were no doubt making fun of God's word in those days because he related the two together. But then came the... <laughs> advent of the telescope, and we found out that there were far more than the 6,126 stars. In fact, it is now estimated in all the galaxies and so forth that there are 10 to the 25th power stars in the universe. But also, if you count the number of sands in a bucket or in a square foot and figure how many square feet there are on the earth, you'll find out there are about 10 to the 25th power grains of sand upon the earth. So there is a close relationship between the number of stars in the heaven and the grains of sand upon the earth, 10 to the 25th power. Now you can go ahead and count them if you want, <laughs> or you can take my word for it. <laughs> but what God was actually saying is that they, they'll not be counted. Now that is why David got in trouble when he decided to have a census. Remember, David numbered the people and the judgment of God came upon Israel because, because God said, hey, you're not going to be able to number them. But David decided he'd like to know how many people were in his kingdom, and so he took this census, and, and the judgment of God fell upon David uh, for the taking of the census because God said they're going to be innumerable. You're not going to be able to number them. So from the time of God's judgment upon David, the Jews refused to take census. In fact, what they began to do was Everybody had to put a temple shekel in, and so they would count the shekels then. Everybody throw in their shekel, and they count the shekels. They wouldn't count people. And the Orthodox Jew today still won't count people. You're at a party, you need a number for a game, they'll say not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. There's ways of getting around everything, I guess. So Abraham returned to his young men. Wait a minute. They rose up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. Where was, where was Isaac? It says, Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose up and went to Beersheba. But then, what about Isaac? Where's Isaac? It's interesting that it doesn't say Isaac, does it? In fact, it's interesting that you're not going to read any more about Isaac for a while. It is interesting that the next time you read about Isaac is when the servant is bringing his bride to him. And he is out in the field meditating, and he rises up and goes out to meet his bride. Even as Jesus, after his sacrifice, ascended into heaven, 
And he's just waiting now for the Holy Spirit to bring his bride. And is, is waiting, actually, the Bible said, until his enemies are made his footstool, until all things are brought in subjection, until the Holy Spirit brings his bride. And so I'm sure that Isaac was with Abraham, but it's interesting and significant that the Bible doesn't mention it. What the Bible doesn't say is quite often as important or significant as what the Bible does say. For instance, you remember when Nebuchadnezzar built this great golden image and demanded everybody bow down and worship it. But the three Hebrew children refused to do so, and they were brought in and thrown in the fiery furnace. Where was Daniel? Did Daniel bow down? I'm sure he didn't. Where was he? The Bible doesn't say. It's silent. Now, that's very interesting because it calls them the three Hebrew children. Daniel is a type of the church. And somehow he is missing when there is this great fiery furnace. He shows up afterwards. But the three Hebrew children are sealed and they go through it. Even as God is going to seal Israel to take them through the great tribulation. But the church will be gone. So Isaac, the type of Christ, gone after the sacrifice and doesn't appear again until the servant is bringing his bride and he arises and goes forth to meet his bride as she comes. So it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah, she hath also borne children to thy brother Nahor. And so they brought a message to Abraham telling him about his family back in the land and how that the, the various children, his brothers, the children that they had, and the children of his brother's children. And so Sarah was 127 years old, and she died in Kerjath Arba, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abram came to mourn for Sarah. Now, evidently, Abram had been away with the flocks or something when Sarah died, and he wasn't at her side at her death, which is a sad thing indeed. But he came to mourn and to weep for her. And he stood up from before his dead, and he spake to the sons of Heth, saying, I'm a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession for a burying place with you that I might bury my dead out of my sight. Now, Abraham didn't really possess anything. He was a stranger and a sojourner in the land of promise, knowing that God was going to someday give that land to him and to his descendants. The children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince among us. In the choice of our sepulchres, bury thy dead, and none of us will withhold from thee his sepulchre that you may bury your dead. So Abraham called the men together. He said, look, I need a place to bury my dead. And they said, take your pick, all of our sepulchres. None of us will hold back from you, and you can just use ours. Abraham stood up, and he bowed himself to the people in the land of the children of Heth, and he communed with them, saying, If it be in your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me to Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is in the end of his field, for as much money as it is worth, and give it to me for a possession, for a burying place among you. And so he's asking now for a particular area, and he's asking that they will entreat this man that he will sell, or that he will give this area to Abraham. Now, Ephraim 
was among the children of Heth. And he was in the crowd that was there. And so he answered Abraham in the audience of all the children. And he said, Nay, my Lord, hear me. The field I will give to you, and the cave that is therein I will give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you to bury thy dead. And so he gives a very generous offer, which is typical of the culture. In other words, the polite thing was to say, Oh, I give it to you but it would be extremely impolite for Abraham to take it. In other words, it was one of those things, where, you know, it's the way that they would deal and barter with each other, bow, and, and they'd say, you know, oh, and the audience of all the people, I give it to you, but it would be, oh, if Abraham took it, then man, you know, flames and fire and all would, would come. And so Abraham bowed himself, uh, before the people of the land, and he spake to Ephraim in the audience of the people, and he's saying, But if you will give it, I pray, hear me, I will give thee money for the field. Take it of me, and I will bury my dead there. So Ephraim answered Abraham, saying unto him, My Lord, hearken unto me, the land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between us? You take and bury your dead. <laughs> now, 400 shekels of silver is greatly overpriced. They always start off with a high price. And then they enter into this haggling where the guy offers a high price, then you come back with about 40% of what he offered. And you expect to buy it for about 50 to 60%. But it's just like a game. They, they'll never give you the, the selling price of the first price. First price is always the sucker's price. You go over there today, same thing. They, they, if you don't haggle with them, they get disappointed because it's just like a game. They love the haggling. It's just a part of their culture, and, and you've got to say, oh, no, I don't want it, you know, at that price, and you've got to turn, wait a minute, wait a minute, come back, come back. How much will you give me for it? Oh, I'll only give you 50 cents. That's not worth it. Oh, 50 cents, go away. That's terrible. Get out of here. You start to leave. Come back, come back, come back. <laughs> if I sell this to you for 50 cents, the business is going to be lost. <laughs> I can't afford to. My grandfather owned this business, and he gave it to my father. My father's given it to me. And now we're going to lose the business if I sell for 50 cents. 65. <laughs> you know, and, and it's just a game with them. They love to haggle like that. And so Abraham is going through the old typical thing, you know. I will not take it, but I, I want to buy it from you. Oh, it's worth 400 shekels of silver, but what's that between us? And suddenly, surprise, Abraham pulls out, and rather than haggling, because, of course, it's the thing now of a place to bury his dead and all, he doesn't enter into the game. He just measures out the 400 shekels of silver, and he buys it at the inflated price. Everybody's disappointed. Abraham didn't get into the haggle, but because of the death and, and the whole emotional thing, rather than haggling, he pays the inflated value for the land in order that he might have the burying place for Sarah. And thus, he buried Sarah in this cave there at Machpelah, which is in view of, he, of uh, the Mamre, where he was dwelling near Hebron. Now, 
There is one difficulty with this according to the seventh chapter of Acts in the New Testament as Stephen is rehearsing their history. He speaks of Joseph and Jacob being buried in the cave in Shechem that Abram bought from Hamar. And so either Stephen didn't know the facts or made a mistake in the facts or a copyist made a mistake in the facts or what is probably correct is that not recorded, Abram also bought a field in Shechem at an earlier or a later time from Hamar also for a burying place so that Abraham actually purchased two parcels, one in Shechem, the place where he first came, and now this parcel in Hebron, the cave of Machpelah, where Sarah was buried. But it's nothing to lose your faith over. There's easy explanations. return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Genesis on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Genesis 22 through 23 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is the Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless and guide your life. When those decisions have to be made, may the Lord give you a very strong impression. May the love of Christ just fill your heart and overflow that lives around you might be touched because of what the Lord has done for you. May you be His witnesses a testimony to others by the love of Christ that shines forth from you. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California.
It is my great pleasure to present Pastor Chuck's commentary on the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles is an open-ended book. Jesus continues even to the present day to work in the lives of people throughout the world through those who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. This book also includes a special foreword written by Pastor John Corson. We studied the book of Acts, but we never saw the book of Acts. But we were seeing the moving of the Holy Spirit. Calvary Chapel family, may you always be known as a people who pray in Jesus' name. That it would be Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. May the Jesus movement continue on. To order a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, The Acts Commentary, please call the word for today at 1-800-272-9673 or visit us online to read a sneak preview of the book by visiting thewordfortoday.org.